Hi, this is Kathleen Mercury with Games in Schools and Libraries, and I'm here today speaking with Matthew Bivens. Matthew Bivens is an art teacher at a high school out in California, and we became in contact with each other. We got in contact with each other because um, of a thread, I believe, on the Facebook group Association of Board Game Educators, and we got to talking about game design. I said that I teach game design. He said he was interested, and um, there was actually a third who was in our chat, and we had maintained this conversation for quite a while um, on Facebook Messenger. And so, especially with Matthew um, teaching game design and using that in his classes, especially, which I think is most interesting, it's part of an arts curriculum. Um, he's, you know, gone through, um, almost finished with his first kind of run through of this class. And I thought what a good time it would be for him to come on to talk about how you can work with games in the classroom as part of an arts curriculum. So Matthew, welcome to the show. Ah, thanks. It's good to be here. Um, I've enjoyed listening to the podcast, uh, since you've been sharing that you're on it and, um, so hosting, uh, but I think I listened to when you were a guest originally. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, and I remember that, uh, I think it was that past, this past summer in 2017, we were on that, um, group chat. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, that, that's been great. Um, so I have been doing stuff with game design, not just board game design, but, um, I think I, I had my first video game art class in 2005. Mm. And so I've been slowly trying to figure out how to help kids who are so passionate about games, you know, mm-hmm. kind of dive into careers with that. Um, and in, so sometime between 2005 and 2009, um, I got to have some really fun experiences. I went to the Game Developers Conference Oh, that's um, cool. I think I think I've been to it two or three times. I, but um, there's a educators special interest group that meets for two days, and there's lectures on how um, how they're doing game design in unique ways in the college setting. And one of the things that I caught on to was that they were making paper prototypes of games and um, how they were doing. Uh, using board game design. And mm-hmm. so um, I also made it out to an art educator forum at Savannah College of Art and Design. Um, mm-hmm. At the time, the game design and interact interactive and game design um, department head was Brenda Brathwaite. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah Brenda yeah. Romero. She's very well known for her work in this. Yeah. 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 So um, I got to play Hey, That's My Fish with her. And uh, she showed her original white box Dungeons and Dragons signed by Gary Gygax. Um, Yeah. So that's pretty cool. And um, her game train was being played at um, game developers conference. I didn't actually get to play it with her, but, um, Mm -hmm. but that's legendary. Yeah. If you're not familiar with train, um, it's worth looking into. It was um, designed, it is a game, but designed more of as an art project um, designed to tap into how games can be learning experiences and probably not doing it justice. It's worth looking into. Um, she has a name for it. It's a, mm-hmm. 
she has a name for like it's a whole series train. Okay. Um, the mechanic is the message. Uh, the idea is that it captures and expresses difficult experiences through the medium of a game. Much like photographs, painting, literature, and music are capable of transmitting the full range of human experience from one human to another, so too can games, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, like, teaching with board games or teaching how to design board games and the artistic kind of... She was one of the many people who planted seeds mm-hmm. towards So that. how long have you been teaching? Um, I got my single subject teaching credential in 2004. Mm-hmm. And I, prior to that, had been doing art camps and after school programs. Mm-hmm. I think I started that in about 2001. Mm-hmm. So, um, but credentialed art teacher, I believe I'm finishing my 14th year. No, oh, well, we're about the same. That's okay, cool. cool. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing, too, is you've got this whole, like, wide variety of arts experiences that you bring into the classroom, which I think is really cool because, you know, you know, it's easier to tie things into, you know, like, real-world connections or, you know, things that go well beyond kind of, like, standard curriculum. And I think that's probably what led you to be a little bit bold in terms of, you know, trying to pursue game design as part of your arts curriculum. Yeah, um, and I was I was encouraged. So my second year as a teacher, I was teaching video game design. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a multimedia career academy, and I walked into a meeting I wasn't invited to, like my second day of professional development. Mm-hmm. And um, the the guy who was new to directing the program was talking about it, and I said, "Do you need somebody to do digital sculpture?" I was teaching a sculpture class at the time, and he came back to me about a week, week and a half later, and said, how about video game design? Could you teach that next year? And I said, sure. And then I went, I went and learned how to use Autodesk software, and it's been a fun journey ever since. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, let's, well, let's talk about where you're at now. So okay. you teach at, um, at a high school. It's a charter school. Yeah, largest and- charter in America, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, there you go. So the Thor. Of, that's a joke. I just saw Infinity War. So, um, and actually Thor Ragnarok not too long ago, too. So I just think, you know, strongest Avenger. Yeah. In my um, head, plus we're Thor. called the Highlanders. I used to have dreadlocks. Um, oh. That made for some interesting conversations at the Game Developers Conference. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. There can only be one, right? So um, <laughs> the um, so I started here in the fall of 2009. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a student game club at my previous school, and I started mm-hmm. off here like they make all you know all the new teachers stand up in front of all two hundred and something other teachers and say who you are, where you're from, what you're doing here, and I made a big announcement that I was going to start the Game Development Guild Club, and uh, eventually, like we've had a lot of things kind of come up because of, you know, being active at different events and stuff. One of our taglines is we make games, so can you. Um, Mm -hmm. And then at some point playing Dominion at lunch, um, probably like three or four years back, there was a kid who was like taking forever to take his turn. 
Mm -hmm. He, I think this was the second time he didn't realize it was his turn. And I said, play attention. And Mm -hmm. now that's kind of become a part of how I have my students journal. They have their play attention log. So yeah, that's a little backstory to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And this year was my first year of implementing board game design in my curriculum for the whole school year. So, wow. So this has been a a full school year long process. Yeah. Wow. It's not every, like we still do other design projects. The course Mm -hmm. is called design craft. um, And it, it meets the G requirement for visual and performing arts um, for uh, California college. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. um, and so, over the so we have six grading periods we call them Mm -hmm. marking periods um so the first marking period i have them modify a card game standard 54 card deck um increasing the number of suits that they have um so you know going from four to six or eight different suits Mm -hmm. and um the the goal is that they're going to begin their graphic design experience and they're also going to start doing iterations. So most of the time high school kids are familiar with a 54, you know, or 52 card deck and Mm -hmm. um, they can think of something that they're interested in playing. um, And then they get to take and modify that game. How does it, how does it work when you have six different suits and then they have to go and make, we use kind of uh, royalty-free iconography, you know, mm-hmm. gameicons.net or whatever, um, or the Noun Project, so that they can create a theme and modify the mechanics to fit within um, that. Mm-hmm. So that's like the first sixth of the year we do that, then... The next third, finishing up the fall semester, is focused on a roll and move mm-hmm. game. Um, again, I want to get them. I want to get them at a place where they're familiar, and mm-hmm. um, it can't just be roll move. They have to have extra components, extra mm-hmm. art. So each student is going to be responsible for designing an eight and a half by 11 portion of the board. And they're mm-hmm. also going to need to do a sheet of cards. So that would be 18 cards, right? Mm-hmm. Like what you could get from the printer. So we have lots of cards and card sleeves around the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have them, I've got three basic types of roll and move, um, race to the finish, claim and collect and complete a set. And, mm-hmm. uh, this, this was the first time that I've implemented that, and I got some decent results from the students. There was some stuff that was unexpected that, that came out of that this fall. Like um, the, the way that they, they, they knew that I didn't want to just have it be a track, that mm-hmm. they go from one place to another, and, um, you know, six months ago now, but, um, they're the way that, um, they were using dice. Some students were, 
you know, you could add or subtract the dice so that you mm -hmm. could figure out how far you could go. Um, using a specific color of dice determined if you moved orthogonally or diagonally. Um, I don't remember all of it, but there was mm -hmm. sure. kind of power-ups on cards. Like, you know, I was glad to see that in hopes to what it would lead to when they did uh, more of a contemporary board game where mm -hmm. dice or dice rolling, uh, drawing or spinning things and that determines movement is not an option, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what we're currently finishing up um, this semester. So how does doing this as part of like an arts class affect what you do in terms of like game design like where do people see like you know this definitely when they would look at it like oh this is definitely an arts class by virtue of like what types of things you do with them so um the the rapid iteration the the quick prototyping mm -hmm. it's it's similar to creating the thumbnail sketch so mm -hmm. um will with the roll and move it was, I think they got three days to get it to function, right? They mm -hmm. concept it and get it to function, and they're working in groups. Um, I have 38 students per class as, as mm -hmm. the cap. Um, I think I have one class at 36, and another class is pretty close to the cap. That's monstrous. Yeah, so we're going to work in groups, and, yeah. you know, like, I can handle grading 10 games. right. 30, you know, 76 games. No, that that's a little too right. much. So, um, yeah. so they, they make the games, um, get them functioning and get the, um, the printed components. They know mm -hmm. what they want them to be. And then they get a chance to play test them, get some feedback and refine that. Mm -hmm. And, during this time, they're thinking about what kind of iconography, how are mm -hmm. they going to do the graphic design, what kind of illustrations are they going to be including in their final design, right? So mm -hmm. I was talking earlier, they're responsible for an 8.5 by 11 of the board, but they're also responsible for the um, two sheets of cards. So mm -hmm. more people that you have in your group, the more boards you get, more board space you get, but also the more cards that you're responsible for. Mm -hmm. And so um, the, the design process of, you know, making it, trying it out, and refining it um, is important for them because we do some bigger um, art projects or design mm -hmm. projects um, where they need to figure out how to do things right and you know how how to get how to build a paper form correct or how to wire um a dc electrical current mm -hmm. um how to how to make that work and then how to use it in a creative way so yeah. there's kind of two aspects right and that applies within uh board game design as well right mm -hmm. and so there's the thing that i love about teaching board game design is it encourages um me to sit down with the students more and dialogue out 
what's what's working in the design, mm-hmm. what where does it need to go, and mm-hmm. what what are you looking to do to get it there? So, so what you're you're talking about process and the mm-hmm. importance of the design process, and if a, a student is creating a game, you know, there's very intentional sort of tweaking of mechanics, very intentional tweaking of like the aesthetic look of the game. Um, and especially the importance of iteration and making that game better. Yes. Do you find that students are more thoughtful or about the process? Are they more aware of the process? Um, are they more willing to see it as a process of creating a game as opposed to like a traditional art, you know, kind of work like a painting. Mm. I slap some paint on there. I'm done, but really you, you're not done. There's more that needs to be done to take it where you need to go. But in game design, do you think it's easier for them to understand how important process is? I think that I'm starting to see it. So in years past, the students, I, there are a lot of students that have an attitude of, I'm done. I've finished, mm-hmm. right? Right. And there's there's it's reached a finishing point and now you need to test it out in game design. And I've found that within with adding in this process, this iterative process and having it a part of the curriculum throughout this school year mm-hmm. that not only are the students more um thoughtful about the process um, with game design, but also with uh, the art projects. So Mm -hmm. they, they can see, they can see that there's room to make errors. So they're willing to experiment more. Mm -hmm. Um, When we made our puppets uh, this year, I, I feel that the iterative process came through a little bit more for the students um, than it had in the past. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that we, puppets are something that we make in um, design loves, craft. Everybody yeah. loves puppets. Yeah. We used to make masks, but, um, you know, 38 noggin sized, um, you know, paper mache sculptures is a little tough to store. Um, right. And they kind of get melty when the paper mache is wet, and so <laughs> it just so yeah. Uh, we'll have to continue that on the other podcast, puppetry in the in schools and libraries. Okay, sorry, I, <laughs> no, I no, tangent. No, I'm kidding. no, my no, my sister actually. Um, well, she was a clown with Ringling Brothers, but before she did that, she uh, was a puppeteer for a lo- local uh, puppet theater here. So oh, cool. Um, when I said everybody loves puppets, I wasn't kidding. So. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, they they definitely are more thoughtful or mindful about process, mm-hmm. and um, they're more open to the little um, activities that we do between projects. That kind of skill building um, mm-hmm. towards the project. They see it as a part of a bigger picture. Yeah. Do I think all of them get it? No, not all of them. But, you know, I've got the whole range of students in here. Um, mm-hmm. I've got freshmen to seniors. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So it's, I'd, I'd say the majority are 11th and 12th graders. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, 
and I've I've got students who are learning a second language, um, you know, and in all sorts of we have like I think nine or ten um, kind of special programs within the school, mm-hmm. so they have all sorts of interests that um, you know I've got kids that are into the sports and. So I've seen a lot of unique games come from their interests. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, there have I haven't seen as many, which I'm not sure. I don't know if it's the group of students or if it's the way that I'm that I've presented the curriculum mm-hmm. um, that changes the themes of the games. Mm-hmm. I've got a few Carcassonne um, clones that are, you know, I played a real fun one today. <laughs> uh, well, I, you know, one thing I've talked about a lot is, you know, when it comes to game design, there's a certain amount of literacy that's required. I mean, if, you you know, if you said to somebody, hey, you know, let's write a book and the person didn't really know how to read or write. Well, it's going to be really hard to imagine them coming up with a really innovative, interesting book with very little experiences, you know, or to have a, you know, third or fourth grader write a book. Oh, they'll put the words together, (laughs) you know, like there'll there'll be stuff there. Um, And I'm not saying they couldn't do a good job, of course, but you know what I mean? And so, you know, when it comes to like a lot of what I do, you know, when it comes to teaching game design is having kids, um, play a lot of games so that they can see a lot of different mechanics and play a lot of different types of objectives, a lot of different types of victory conditions and play because you have to give them that sort of library so they can, you know, steal those ideas because otherwise they'll just do roll and move games. Yeah. You know, because that's the only thing that they're familiar with. I mean, I think what you're doing is smart and taking that, but having them like put some sort of like twist on it. Um, but generally speaking, you know, Risk, Stratego, Roll and Move games are pretty much all they know. So what games do you have kids play in your classes? I'm, I'm modifying it for, for summer school because mm-hmm. I get to teach this for six weeks straight, four hours a day, which is going to be great. But um, I've got Splendor, Carcassonne, Crows, Transamerica, Sura of the Sea, King Tokyo, Hey, That's My Fish, Forbidden Island, um, going to include Coup, Between Two Cities, and King Domino. Mm. Those are the new yeah. ones that are coming in. Um, I, I have a game that I really love for teaching action programming and special player powers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called What the Food. Uh, it's, it was put out by my buddy Peter Vaughn. He, I met him mm-hmm. through um, the Southern California Playtesters or SoCal playtesting. Mm-hmm. Um, he now runs Breaking Games and uh, helped me expand my... I had three copies of the game. I backed it on Kickstarter, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And um, he, he helped me expand my... so that I could run the game with 38 students at once. <laughs> so we had, six, we had six tables of food fights with um, high, uh, the, the characters in the game are high schoolers and Mm -hmm. they're having a food fight. And so, um, the kids have a blast once they learn it. And by having, teaching everybody that game at once, they get it and it works out. Um, I've tried to have that 
be a game that the kids pick up and learn themselves, mm -hmm. but it just doesn't work. So that's why I have it as a whole class experience. But the other ones that I mentioned before are easy enough to watch a video on how to play and mm -hmm. play it. Um, and I actually end the fall semester with having them investigate. I had 11 games this fall that they could look at and mm -hmm. choose two that they wanted to play. And they it's their written exam, so they you know, write out based on four different prompts um, what their two choices are, what they find interesting thematically and mechanically about it, and... Um, yeah, I, I can't recall, recall everything that I have them say about it off the top oh, of my sure. head. Yeah, but, but that's okay. But um, so to touch back onto the puppet and my spring written exam that I... So it's a take-home test mm -hmm. portion. They do a drawn exam as well, but um, during the testing time. But I'm having them design a or create a pitch for a miniatures board game. Mm -hmm. And one of the prompts is focused on character design. And so they have experience with 3D modeling. Uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah. So given their experience with that and their concept for this game, what would they, what would they be modeling for the game? And then they also, they're currently doing some illustrations um, that would be used for either the cover of their board game or as a setting for their puppet character. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but so they're also talking about what kind of illustrations they would use in that game. And it's, you know, also got the kind of the pitch, you know, narrative thematic stuff, mechanics, player interaction experience, and what would make that game special. And uh, when I announced it last Monday, a student came up to me and said, can I use somebody else's IP? And I just said, yes, go mm -hmm. ahead. It's, yeah. you know, this isn't a game that will probably ever see anything more than your eyes and mine. Yeah. In an educational setting. And, you know, it's funny because I give my students that as an option all the time. If there's any particular world they want to use um, base, to base their game on, they absolutely can. And the only student who's done so, I think maybe ever, only one, but it was, um, I think, an internet comic called, or anime, I don't know, I'm sorry, I'm an old lady, but it's called Ruby, R-W-B-Y. Okay. And so, um, but she was really, really into it. So this was just a way for her to like, you know, just basically spend. But yeah, if it's an, an educational setting, they're not profiting off it, that they can use that. And, and so it's, but it's really interesting though, that it's, it's interesting to me that kids really don't do that. They could, yeah. but they don't really seem to want to. And I think a lot of people would be surprised by that. Yeah. Um, they have some really creative ideas and make up worlds of their own. I have a cartoon animation class, so they, in there, are creating their own characters consistently. I mm -hmm. do make sure that they don't use other people's intellectual property in there, right. because... Right, yeah. that's the whole point, is yeah. they come up with their own 
Yeah. So after having taught this and kind of winding down your first year of this, what are some things that you think have been like real successes? What are some things that you think are like sort of, you know, things you want to improve on for next time? So the, um, the modified card game Mm -hmm. is an improvement. This year it was, they just made a sheet of nine cards with iconography on it Mm -hmm. and it didn't work out so well. Like it, it needs improvement. And so that's what I described to you is kind of, here's my new lesson plan. Yeah. Of, yeah, yeah. You know, um, cause I made it. One of the things that I've found is having a game that I designed and trying to have them make components towards that mm-hmm. doesn't exactly work out all that well for it's, it's just, it's like going to a paint night, right. um, which is fun. You know, you go and you hang out with your friends and you all make the same thing. Right. But I don't think that it has much artistic value. Of course, yeah. I've never gone and experienced one personally. I, <laughs> I kind of want to because, you know, mm-hmm. it, it might bring some new light to how I teach my painting class. But mm-hmm. um, Well, the wine would probably be... A welcome addition in most high school classrooms by the students, I'm sure. I'm sure, but yeah. Um, <laughs> they, so Don't one drink, of the, kids. One of the things that in the art educator um, forums on Facebook, they they do um, kind of the, the paint night without the alcohol mm-hmm. um, as professional development. Oh, like, that's fun. Yeah, so I did... Mm-hmm. Um, board game design is professional development. I got to teach that for our STEM program teachers um, in the, at the end of the fall. So that's really, that's really cool. Yeah, it was a blast. We, we took like three class, three like professional development meetings. So we got three Mm -hmm. hours starting the school, making game, starting the school day, making games was great. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, so what else? What else was bit good, bad, ugly? Um, good uh, having the roll and move experience uh, before the you know playing contemporary board games. Um, as always, having that time set apart to play the board games mm-hmm. um, was great. Uh, so that. That has been something that I've been trying to do for quite some time. Um, I think that framing uh, the exams, having having the content of board games within the exams is also helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. The um, there somewhere I wrote down there. There's. Uh, it's important to have ways to individual responsibility and group responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that one of the things that I could have done more of is spent time with them as kind of developer feedback, more group meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that my play attention logs that I have them filling out when they are, 
uh, playing prototypes or playtesting games or running demos. Mm-hmm. Um, those are very helpful to me to see what it is. I did not teach how to give and receive feedback well enough. I think that that is one of the bigger hurdles that I have mm-hmm. um, with with the board games becoming what they could possibly be. Yeah. Um, re- well, have you seen um, the way that I do feedback with my students? Have you seen the form? Um, no, well, I don't and think. The, and, and, and the reason why is, I mean, God knows I'm no expert, and I was, you know, tweaking it again this year, um, actually based on a conversation I had with uh, the designer, um, Jesse Wright. But basically, for mine, I call it the WINK form, W-I-N-Q. So the W stands for what works in the game. Um, I is for what needs improvement. Q, um, sorry, N stands for new ideas. And Q stands for questions. And what I like about the form is, I mean, obviously what works, what doesn't work, those are pretty obvious. But a lot of times when kids are playtesting games, they want to say what they think should happen. And so by letting them interject that, um, with the new ideas, they can feel like they can ha- really help. You know, it's like, well, you should do this, and have you considered this? And then for questions, qu- that one's pretty tough. And I tried something different this year, and I think it actually worked better. But questions, you know, be like, what would happen if, you know, but especially for my seventh graders, their questions sometimes were kind of repetitive, or they would try to restate something they already said as a question. And so um, based on Jesse's experiences and what he was talking about in terms of um what he was talking about in terms of like feedback that he wants. It's like, you know, if the game's about pirates, did you feel like a pirate? Well, if you didn't feel like a pirate, what would make you feel more like a pirate? And so I incorporated that onto my wink form this year. So it was like, did you feel like a blank? What would make you feel more like a blank? And so, um, it's the best way that I've gotten feedback or I've had kids give and receive feedback. So especially when you have kids play testing over multiple iterations, you know, at the beginning, a lot of times their feedback is, you know, based on, you know, things that you can see very concrete, you know, like the design of the board, you know, that sort of thing. But then as time goes on, their feedback tends to get deeper in terms of like really looking at the gameplay and the interaction of components and the, you know, mechanics of the game. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's, I, you know, I, I'm only saying this because, you know, it's, it's, I did not, I had, I struggled with getting kids to give good feedback. I had them all kinds of like rating scales and everything. But the thing that I was noticing is, you know, they would have felt these rating scales and there'd be like a little column on the side for them to write questions. And that's what they would always look at. They wouldn't even look at the other numbers because it was kind of irrelevant. And so, um, they get fussy about it, but then, you know, eventually they want their feedback from each other. So, yeah. um, that's worked out a lot. That's worked out better. Um, I appreciate you sharing that. That's oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's on my website, kathymercury.com, for free as always. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get no money from that website, by the way. When I push it, it's just to get it out there. I pay to you know have that website. So in case people think like I'm making ad money, nope, no ads. Just go for it. But anyway, but the other thing that I'm sort of interested in next year because of how our schedule is, I will teach all seventh grade in one semester this year i have three and three and so next year it looks like i'm gonna have five classes of seventh grade all at once and that's going to be somewhere around 80 to 90 kids so Mm -hmm. either i'm going to have 80 to 90 games or 
I'm going to figure something else out. And so I think especially if I have kids working in groups, which I've never done before. I mean, they do like their first little game design experience in games. Um, But I'm interested to see what, you know, as far as like the group dynamics, because if I have them work in groups, um, I'm going to have them make their games print and play as well. Because when we put, when I post my students' designs on BGG, I usually get some requests to, like for PNP versions of games, and I think that actually would be a really fun way to kind of add something new to the experience. And with multiple people working on the same game, that's something that should be possible. Um, yeah. So PNP experience, but also you know just in terms of like how you have kids work together. Because I was asking some of my students now. Um, I asked them the other day, I said, knowing what you know now about this class and game design and everything that goes into it, would you rather work by yourself or work with a bad partner? Because everybody wants to have a good partner. Oh, <laughs> everybody yeah. Everybody thinks they're the good partner. But the reality is that you could easily have a bad partner and which would be better. And so most kids said they'd rather still work on their own. Um, I mean, they play test with each other, so they get tons and tons of feedback. But one kid, you know, he's talking about, you know, he would still rather work on a partner, he said, because it's still somebody else to bounce ideas off of. It's still somebody else to, you know, like kind of work through problems together. And I thought that was a good point. And I started laughing because of this particular kid. And I said, and because you know the type of student you are, you know, you would probably just do it all anyway, right? And he's like, well, yeah. <laughs> but so what do you, like, how did it, like, what advice would you have about when you have students working in groups? It's important that you do goal setting like mm-hmm. they um that they have a plan for what each person is going to do during that class meeting mm-hmm. um in a stem meeting professional development meeting that we had uh the the person who runs it has um a course where a, it's a lot of group work and mm-hmm. she has them they have a google doc that they kind of have a journal of Mm -hmm. like here's what we set out to do here's what was accomplished here's our thoughts for our our next time that we meet Mm -hmm. um and so i i'm thinking about implementing that uh through summer school because there's a lot that one one thing in in the art class is there's usually some students who've got the art right and or in game design there's the student who has that idea and mm-hmm. so i like to they all start off with creating their own ideas mm-hmm. before they choose groups um and I let them choose their groups, but I also want them to be exposed to, like, they have to make, like, a concept pitch, like, slide, Mm -hmm. and then they they put their slides out there where they can, it's like a shared slide, everybody looks at everybody else's, and then they choose based on that, like, who has a similar concept to you? Who has a similar theme that they want to work with? Or is there a specific, like, inspiration game that they're mm-hmm. talking about that you're interested in? Um, so that there's group buy-in, that they're all right on the same page. Um, yeah, because you don't want, you know, 
I've got cool idea A, you've got cool idea B, we can't agree, so we pick, like, you know, okay idea C. Yeah. You know, and, I, and I've always wanted to avoid that. That's why I've always had kids design their own games, because even with playtesting, at the end of the day, they get to choose, and it's all them, and they have that ownership and that autonomy. And this is a big deal to kind of let go of, at least for me, conceptually, as far as what I want kids to do. But it's also realistic in the real world that you're not going to be able just to always create your own projects independently. And it is better in a lot of times to work with other people. Yeah. And, you know, that's being a productive member of society is being able to work with others. Um, the, we had a animation guest speaker from Disney in here on Friday mm. and he was talking about how important the, the skill of communication is. Mm-hmm. And for me, the board game design unit is about that communication. And yeah. um, so I had uh, in two different classes this semester, um, students come up and say to me, hey, this student is doing this, or these students are doing that. Uh, one thing was these students didn't do the icon project, the digital icon project mm-hmm. that was, you know, that we now need for this. And I said, well, we have that grade. When we go to grade your final prototype, mm-hmm. we'll be grading what the iconography and, you know, the visual look of the game is. And, you know, that will be we'll be looking at your individual parts as well as the whole. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, there's physical work that, and so I think that in setting those goals, so mm-hmm. like, Hey, your game is going to require 54 cards between the two of you. That sounds like it's going to, you know, you're each going to make 27 cards. Mm-hmm. Um, and, so if you could initial down at the bottom so that I, you know, yeah, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Now, um, you've heard of the power gamer. Have you met the power designer or, you know, the person who, or the alpha gamer, right? Mm-hmm. They, they say, no, you've got it. You should do this. You, right. They're not the fun one to play the co-op with. Right. Right. And, um, there was a student who, worked in a group and he would not listen to feedback. Um, and the group members were like, they, they liked the ideas. The, he would, he would not change. Um, he, and like, so it wasn't his group members that came up to me. It was mm-hmm. other students after play testing, they came up and said, you, you gotta, you gotta give the other kids a break. That they will, they can't get a single word in about the game. And I said, I'm aware of it. Mm-hmm. I've I've talked with them, and I've talked with him about what I expect that there should be some changes to the game. Uh, you know, it's and the changes that came didn't. I well, I haven't play tested the final iteration of it. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that 
after you know getting feedback from other groups that they were able to make some changes but i think that those are some big issues that come up mm-hmm. with you know it's people not doing their part um and people just being a boss of others bossing others around and not letting not taking in the others feedback so right right and the thing is is you know because right now in my classes the kids who probably would be more passive in you know a group you know letting others do the work you know or messing around they 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 can't hide behind that you know or at least if they do it's really evident in the work that they've done as far as their games just aren't as developed as other games are Mm -hmm. and so that's something you know as far as like keeping track of that is how to i mean i think this is tough for any teacher you know how do you assess you know group work fairly you know especially because you can't get into their heads you can't download you don't know exactly what happened um that's what i use the journal for yeah yeah that's a good point you know as far as that goes so then you can at least you know have those sort of like individual um individual grades you know broken apart from other people so you can definitely see where they're at so even if someone benefits from someone else's work on the group side on the, the individual side you know, probably would show where it's not as um, up to standard. Yeah. So when it comes to doing this, um, as far as like what, excuse me, what what advice would you have for other art teachers who want to get into using games in the classroom more? Um, so know your games. Uh, I, you know, know the games that you're bringing in, that you're going to have them play. Be willing to really dedicate a, good bit of space to designing games mm-hmm. um, because it's, you know, there's, you're sacrificing time for them to learn the games and the game mm-hmm. mechanics. Um, and I would say to start simple, right? Mm-hmm. Keep it simple. Um, I think starting with modified cards could yeah. be an easy way to, to to get into it that could be a short unit that you know playing cards for two days isn't too much of a sacrifice within the within a semester um think about what you're willing to sacrifice for the students to learn games and to concept and Mm -hmm. really kind of know know what you're willing to sacrifice and know what you're what you want as your end product right Mm -hmm. because um, that can be really interesting. Um, in, in my classroom, the end product is really the game and how mm-hmm. the game plays and how the artwork helps people play the game. It's, right. it, it's not about as much the aesthetic look. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine who teaches a few doors down did a game design unit He's, he's stopped since, but when he was doing it, it was really about the graphic look, the mm-hmm. unique illustrations, what they designed in Illustrator and Photoshop, um, moreover than the gameplay. And, mm-hmm. you know, we actually had um, a rolly cart of board games that we would, like, his students would play for a day, then we would roll it back over to my classroom and, you know, but 
for him, he wasn't finding the aesthetic value of the visual mm-hmm. arts that he was looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I was I wanted to dive deeper into the design, into the iterative process. So right. it's for me, it's it's about the the iterative process growing into the other design projects that happen in design craft. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, I mean, and that's one thing we talk about, too, about how, you know, this process is so universal. You could use it to analyze, you know, some sort of like business flow problem. You could use it to analyze almost anything. And it's just that, you know, method of just kind of working through the process to really understand the needs of your user and, you know, designing for them. Um, and so that's one thing I talk a lot about with my students. Like, what did you learn about this that you will apply to something non-game related, you know? Yeah. And it's and that's where you really see this sort of like the impact of that process on them, you know, kind of shake itself up. Well, I learned that, um, you know, as far as like it's really important to listen to other people when mm-hmm. it comes to working on ideas and, you know, all that other stuff. So, so in in that sense, I would say that, Teaching uh, with board game design mm-hmm. mindset will help with uh, developing kids' uh, ability to do the concepting process, mm-hmm. to to make quick, small ideas come to life before mm-hmm. deciding on one. Yeah. Um, it will help with uh, communication, critique, pure mm-hmm. feedback. Yeah. Uh, which is critical um, in you know any visual arts classes that they that they're dialoguing about things. Um, you know, game design in the classroom doesn't always have to be uh, the full design process. Right. In my painting class for our surrealism unit, we play Dixit. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they they design Dixit cards uh, oh, that's with cool. the idea of juxtaposition, caricature, or scale has to be the main function, and hmm. they're they're concepting ideas for cards while we play the game as a class. Mm-hmm. And um, character design can relate to uh, game design, and it's mm-hmm. right so. With, within the contexts of um, design craft where I do the game design unit, I also have character and set design, but those skills can be used towards the illustrations and the component design mm-hmm. for board game design. So yeah. it's seeing how it fits with what you currently have or what yeah. you'd like to build as a program. I'm hoping to um, develop an advanced class uh, that makes use of Unity uh, to make interactive games mm-hmm. um, sometime in the f- near future, hopefully. Yeah. So Unity is a programming language that works on a variety of platforms. Yeah, um, thank I you. I had a student for an independent project create basically a, a game where you're a little spaceship flying in between, you know, like asteroids. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, it was, it was really, really cool, you know, for, you know, something that he spent a month on in, as an eighth grader, but... Um, so it was like surpri- like accessible asterisk, you know, technology and all that other stuff. But, you know, he was able to figure it out. So that's really cool. Yeah. Well, Matthew, this has been really interesting. 
Is there I've any last it. kind of thoughts that you'd want to throw out there as far as for others following your footsteps or what they can learn from you? Um, you know, I, I also do role-playing games in my after-school program. Mm-hmm. We've modified 4th edition Dungeons & Dragons where they have a race, class, and mutation with the oh, uh, Gamma fun. world. Um, and so it's we're, we're figuring out the, you know, how to play test this modification scene, you know, kind of doing the quality assurance thing from the video mm-hmm. game design uh, era. And um, I think that there is just something so strong and different about teaching um, game design practices mm-hmm. as opposed to teaching and gamifying your, ed- your curriculum. They're two completely different boats, and um, a big fan of teaching design process, specifically yeah. game design process. Yeah, so. well, you know, you're preaching to the choir on that. <laughs> yeah, one, I, sure. I know that. Yeah, but. no, but but I think, um, but especially for a lot of people out there who are interested in doing this, you know, one thing that comes up is, you know, what can people tell their administrators? you know, to get them on board as far as why this is good, why this is valuable. And I think you just managed to, you know, elucidate clearly why um, game design, you know, should have a a place, you know, for our students. I mean, um, one of my students um, last semester at parent-teacher conferences, I was talking about what we were doing, and he looked at me and he said, you know, I teach game design at Washington University in St. Louis, and this is what I'm having my college kids do. And he said, just imagine what they would be capable of if they had started this in seventh grade as opposed to when they're, you know, 18, 19, 20 years of age. And I think, you know, getting our kids to solve complex problems creatively, you know, using other people's ideas, incorporating them is, you know, what we need to survive in this world. And even if it starts with game design, I think it starts to build that sort of like, you know, foundation. Um, And it's fun, you know, game design and playing games is always fun. So uh, thank you so much for everything you're doing. Oh, it was wonderful um, being on this podcast with you. And uh, thanks for putting these podcasts out. It's a wonderful uh, addition to my drive to uh to hear it it you know listening to the guy talk about steam in the last Mm -hmm. podcast just i i came into my classroom all fired up so (gasps) that's so great yeah that's so cool well where can people find you online if they're if they want to know more about you and what you do um so i'm i'm on facebook matthew t bivens um i let's see here well, probably if, the um, board games and education group is a good place yeah, to find you. Yeah, that's, that's a good place to find me. Mm-hmm. I, I am technically on Twitter as at Bivens Art Class. Mm-hmm. I don't check it very often, though, so and I don't post very often, but I'm there. Um, and I'm, I'm always up for a conversation if people want to email me directly, uh, mm-hmm. mbivens at ghchs.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, and this has been another episode of Games in Schools and Libraries with Kathleen Mercury. You can find me um, on the internet um, 
I also hang around uh, Facebook groups like uh, Board Games and Education, uh, Association of Game Educators, and all kinds of other ones. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Mercury with seven M's, as well as. Um, yeah, I'm on Facebook, too, and all that other good stuff. But you also, most importantly, is you can get all of my teaching resources for free. I make no money from this at KathleenMercury.com because I know how hard it is as teachers to find, um, you know, to find good lesson plans. And so I just access is most important to me. So anyway, well, thanks so much, Matthew. And uh, best of luck with uh, the end of your school year. And I hope you have a great summer. Yeah, I hope you have a great summer as well. Thanks. And we'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Games in Schools and Libraries. You can find out more about Inverse Genius and the people who create the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast by visiting us at inversegenius.com, where we have other great shows such as On Board Games, On RPGs, On Minis Games, and The Room Escape Divas. If you would like to be on the show or have questions, comments, or ideas for episodes, please contact us at schoolsandlibraries at gmail.com and let us know. We do have our episodes booked out for several weeks in advance, so if you have something time-sensitive, you will want to contact us as early as possible. 